I'm Chuck. And I'm Buck. And you're listening to the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. And welcome to episode 33 of the podcast. Amongst all of the COVID madness and the Christmas holiday, I'm sure everybody else is very busy. Hopefully you're done with your Christmas shopping. I know I am not. Me neither. close, even though I need to be. I really don't <laughs> have time. We are going to be resuming our countdown of our 100 greatest and or favorite games of all time. Today, it's going to be both of our 70 through 66. Yeah, and I think uh, today's episode, I'm going to have Buck start us off. Well, the first one is uh, one of the many fantastic PS1 JRPGs. And I don't know how much you played this one. I think you at least played it a little bit. You probably own it. Breath of Fire 3. Do you own that one or not? I definitely own it. I own both of them. Um, okay. Definitely the better of the two. I, don't, I agree. It's got yeah. the way more charming art style instead of like the weird 2D, 3D hybrid thing the PlayStation wasn't amazing at. But yeah, Breath of Fire 3 is awesome. Hand-drawn, fantastic-looking art, and it's a... Just old school RPG goodness. A little, definitely a little grindy, but an awesome game, that's for sure. Capcom was definitely on point with this one for sure. Like for me, I, I mean, I didn't finish the game. I don't think I probably got further than like 20 or so hours in, which is a good chunk for sure. Cause I don't remember it being one of those epics. I think it's only like a 40 hour game, if I'm not mistaken. It's probably at least, I don't know, I think it took me close to 50 hours to finish it. And you know I don't really do many side quests, so it's pretty freaking long. You got yeah, past that's... the time skip, didn't you? Mm, I don't remember enough of the game to be able to verify that. It's been a really long time, and I've only attempted to play it once. See, I bought it again on a PSP, because it only came out actually in Europe, and not over here for some odd reason, but... Thankfully, it's not region locked on PSP, so I could uh, import that one in, and it was fully translated, the same glorious game I remembered. So I re- I played it back in, I don't know, Prey came out, what, 98 or 9? I know me and Dell played through it a lot back then, and then I revisited it, and I want to say 2008 or so, 2008 or 9, Prey on PSP. So it's still been a minute since I played, but definitely one to check out, and I feel like people kind of, sleep on the breath of fire series in general it's not really remembered a whole lot anymore and capcom's not doing jack with it besides a freaking mobile game i believe is the latest thing and dragon quarter sucked on ps2 so that didn't help yeah and what a, what a weird departure that was we won't we won't get into that uh but breath of fire 3 the things that i remember that really stood out to me obviously love the graphics kind of that hand-drawn pixel animation there was a lot of love put into those like i just remember battle battles specifically were just actually a joy to watch uh, with all the details that were put into enemies and your main characters and then also the music was up there a classic for the ps1 yeah the music was very good too and even like the characters the emotes outside of battle just going through the towns and stuff they you tell they put a lot of love in because there's a bunch of different facial expressions like you kind of see in the kind of like the old Final Fantasies where they'd have a, a few different ones. But they definitely put a lot of them in here. And my favorite thing about it back then was the transformations, you know, into the dragon. We could splice the different genes together and 
there must have been, what, 30 or so different combinations of dragons you could create by splicing the different genes together. And you could have, like, the little dude or, like, the huge dragon if you actually kind of fused them correctly. I don't know if you got that far to remember much of that. I don't, re- yeah, so I don't really remember a whole, me getting to the point where there was a lot of customization there. But did it work? In, in my mind, though, it worked out in this way. If you chose, like, the smaller dragons, you got to use all your other characters. But if you used the bigger ones, did they leave battle temporarily when you did that or not? No, I think it was just like they had certain combinations like the game wanted you to kind of put together and that would create one of like the bigger buff dragons, which you didn't really get access to those until later in the game because you slowly got more dragon genes to be able to to transform your dragon into different stuff. So you kind of earned those throughout the game. I think you spliced like three of them together that they wanted you to do. You would turn into like a you know, the bigger dragon, you could still keep your other characters on the screen, but otherwise it would kind of mutate you into the smaller little dragon dude, which could still be good, but not as cool as a huge one. Yeah, definitely, definitely a cool gimmick that they, that persisted throughout the whole series. Uh, Your main character was able to do that throughout. Was it still Ryu in the third game? Yep, it still is. It's still the first four games. It's still Ryu and still Nina's still like the main female character. I think everything else is kind of unique because the story is actually really good in three. I'm not super familiar with the other ones because I haven't actually put a lot of time into the other other uh, three Breath of Fire mainline games. I put some time into four, but haven't really touched one and two a whole lot. But yeah, the story is uh, surprisingly good. It's kind of understated and all comes together really well. But I don't want to give any spoilers out there in case somebody still wants to play it you know 20 plus years later but it's definitely worth it it definitely is and i I think that's one that's certainly pricey at this point what's the what's the easiest way for people to play that one at this point can they get it on uh ps3 yeah ps3 it's like six bucks on ps3 that's definitely the the way to go if you want to try and experience it because it's just the the straight ps1 port on ps3 hopefully they don't take that store down soon because of heard rumors they might take like the ps3 store down because that has a lot of expensive games like that and squeak it in two and games that people aren't able to pick up for like a hundred bucks besides that you can get for six bucks on there so yeah they just need to move it over to the playstation 4 and 5 just bring those over to the playstation network across the board why not yeah why can't we actually still use the stuff we bought on ps3 on 4 and 5 too like those games that'd be sweet we kind of moved the library over yeah, I mean, you, you can they could make the argument that the backwards compatibility for the PS3 made that easier, I guess. But it's just emulation, so... Yeah, at that point, it's not really... I need, like you said, I don't even call that backwards compatibility. That's just straight-up emulation. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why they're doing that. Um, I don't know why any company does that. that. That's very frustrating. I mean... Besides, it charges more money in the future if they decide to do it. Yeah, Nintendo. <laughs> Please, Sony, don't don't take that avenue, but please bring those games over. There's no reason not to. It's just free money for you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Breath of Fire is a good one. So what you got? Well, a a little game, a little Super Nintendo game came out in 95, one that you're very, very familiar with. God, that's so many good games. One that I know that will be much, much higher up your list. And it's probably criminal that it's so low on my list because it's so beloved, but it's going to be Chrono Trigger. 
yeah, it's going to be a lot higher on my list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely an amazing game. I, I can't deny that for a second. And I didn't I mean, even know I, this would make your list, honestly. <clears throat> I wasn't sure. You know, I wasn't sure either because I haven't replayed it in a long time. I played through it like twice. And I, I was looking, thinking back on it. Besides the fact that Chrono Trigger obviously needs no introduction. Pretty much everybody's heard us talk about it. Everybody knows what it is. Um, Chrono Trigger is easily one of the most well-designed and well-paced RPGs that has ever existed. I have no problem saying that. Even though it's not like probably in my top 20 favorite RPGs of all time, I can't deny the the quality that is there across the board. I I would have a very hard time coming up with any faults except for the load times in the PS1 version. <laughs> and obviously the the issues that they had with some of the ports later on, but that doesn't take away from just the the quality that the initial game on the Super Nintendo released with. I think Chrono Trigger 2 is an RPG that ironically holds up and stands the test of time more than almost any other RPG even from that era or really any era. I mean, people can still play it today and and appreciate it and realize how amazing it is. And I feel like it's a game where people that aren't from our generation, that didn't grow up with that kind of, you know, just art style or games in general, can still pick up Chrono Trigger and be like, this is a freaking amazing game. You don't need to be blinded by nostalgia, I guess, is what I'm saying to fall in love with Chrono Trigger. Absolutely not. And I think there it also has the benefit of if the, the concept of, of your average JRPG scares you away as a gamer, uh, Chrono Trigger kind of, you know, laughs in the face of, of the typical formula. Uh, the pacing, the length, and the challenge, the, the kind of well-designed combat scenarios, no random battles, and just the way everything is designed so perfectly, not to mention the story and all that good stuff, I'll let you talk about that at a later time because you're more intimate with it. But everything is just so finely tuned in kind of a condensed, enjoyable package that I think it's definitely more accessible uh, than your average 50, 60, 100-hour RPG that someone would probably scoff at. So, Well, I mean, it's, it kind of reminds me, if it's like it, if it's an anime show, it would be a show just with like zero filler, just all the straight like canon mainline episodes, all the fat is trimmed from Chrono Trigger. You don't go on random quest to find some random villager's boot or something for five hours. Oh, Everything you do is important, and it's, like you said, streamlined to perfection. Yeah, what is it, like 20 hours mainline, That's 30 so hours to do all the side quests and stuff, and then obviously all the extra endings and things like that. But yeah, it's a very well-honed title. And even the, only the extra endings are usually only, a, you know, a lot of them are just an hour or two apiece. Because one of them's like to beat the game immediately after you start. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of really cool things we could we could talk about, you know, from the characters and you know just the storyline in general. Uh, but we'll save that for Buck to gush about it in a future episode. That'll definitely be coming down the line. It'll be but, quite a while down the line, but it'll it'll be coming for sure. Absolutely. But I did want to show my respect for it and let you know that it was on my list. Definitely deserves nice. to be there. It's not. Some people, I don't know who's going to argue that Chrono Trigger is kind of like over talked about, overrated. I don't, I don't think that's true at all. 
Yeah, you don't hear that about you hear that about a lot of games, but it never gets thrown in that conversation of something's overhyped or overrated. Most people appreciate what it brings to the table. And they should. All right. Well, I'm gonna leave it at that. And we'll let you go on with uh your number sixty nine, Buck. And this is one that you've put a we both put a ton of time into this game, actually, and we're going back to the Super Nintendo again. And going to the uh the good old Mega Man X series. Mm. And we got Mega Man X3. Ah, that's, that's my baby of the X series. It's the one that slept on, too, I feel like, in the trilogy. Like, everyone loves one, and I feel like two is more popular than three, but I actually like three quite a bit more than two, and I think you're the, right there with me. No, I absolutely do. Um, I Depending upon what day you ask me, uh, X or X3 is my favorite, but X3, it's just... It just comes down to it has so much more than the first two games did. They they and took that a... perfect formula and just expanded on it, and there was just a ton of secrets. Something that made oh my god games like yeah. Mega Man Seven really cool. The soundtrack was off the charts. I'm gonna stop talking about your game. You go ahead. <laughs> hey, you keep on going too. I was going to say, getting to play Zero for the first time, which, as my nine-year-old self, I'm pretty sure he's my favorite video game character at the time, so that was beyond epic to actually get a, to use Zero. I've been wanting to do that since the X-Series started. So, a lot of people think, you know, X4 was kind of the first time, but no, X3 can be Zero, and that was, was awesome. Like you said, all the secrets, too, as far as, like, you can get his saber, you can get the golden armor, and I thought that was cool where you could like get a choice of being able to doubly upgrade one body part if you wanted to. You still had your yeah. So yeah, if you didn't yeah to instead of getting instead of like waiting to get the the golden armor, that was one of the things. If you didn't do that double upgrade, you you could get the golden armor. Is that, am I remembering yeah, that correctly? Mean, yeah, you're remembering that right. They never advertised that obviously. So the, like the per, my first playthrough, I remember like man, which one do I upgrade? I think I upgraded the the Buster for the double upgrade the first time when I didn't know the golden armor existed. And I mean, back in those days, I remember just finding the golden armor randomly because they're, you know, didn't have the internet and everything wasn't at our fingertips. So we actually discovered the secrets and stuff back in the day. And yeah, X three was just so much goodness. The characters were what neon tiger. I don't know. who no, neon, neon tiger is tiger. my favorite boss in probably the series. You can't forget all the extra ride armor upgrades you could get. Yeah, the annoying frog one and the, yeah, <laughs> the for cool sure. hawk one. <laughs> yeah, those were those were tough to find. Yeah, it was just a lot of really cool secrets. I know we're we keep going back to that. The base gameplay is obviously what you remember from the X series. That actually didn't change that much. And for a lot of people, a lot of people talk like X3 is harder than the rest of the series. And I know that I'm kind of biased because I probably put way more time into it. I actually think X2 is harder. I think the only thing hard about X3, the very, very last form of Sigma, his head is so small. It is hard to hit. I'll give it that. Yeah, that's fair. I thought it was cool that after you actually beat the game, you have to get out that escape sequence. So I remember like, being super hyped that I beat the game because, I mean, I was... I don't know, how old were you when you first played it? Probably, like, 12 or so? 12 yeah, or 13? Yeah, probably. Because I was, I was, like, 9, so 
a little it was bit younger. Like six probably. months after you let me borrow the original. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And I remember being so hyped when I finally beat Sigma, and then I died when I was getting out the building. <laughs> yeah, this not is not like Super Metroid where you can almost barely. Well, you you really can't fail unless you like take a coffee <laughs> break. Uh, yeah, it was actually decently challenging. You had to be ready for it. And those those walls that close in on you too and can smash you and kill you. Besides, just the time limit actually killing you, and you have to be good at like that dash, that upward dash. That's awkward. Yeah, it was no. Uh, jet ski cave escape sequence like resident evil 4 no it wasn't just sure. like a, a fancy little epilogue after you beat the game it was like still part of the still part of the game and i don't know, looking back that was really cool the first time i did it i definitely raged a little bit at it. oh yeah and like the, you said i think i think it's easier for us too because i know that we both played three more than i may have played three more than any of them definitely more than two so it probably is easier than the next two yeah i'd yeah, I must have played it more than the the original. Um, I know that the original gets touted as like pretty much perfection of the series, and it's hard for me to argue that too, especially for it being the first one. There's a lot there. There are some cool things in that game that did not quite make it over to X2 and X3, like those, like the stage transformations when you yeah. kill certain bosses, things like that that were pretty cool. But yeah, X3 kind of just took everything that X1 and X2 brought to the table and just and gave you gave you more. It's definitely fitting into the, the Super Nintendo trilogy. Yeah, and I, I think it totally deserves that extra high price tag it has. <laughs> I agree. And I Even though it's been been released 57 different times, it's still expensive. Oh yeah, oh, I, st- I still have all the copies, so. I've got one. You've got the rest, I think. Yeah. I may only have two of that one. That one's pretty rough, but it's not like my my X2 and Mega Man 7 collection. Well, Chrono Trigger 2, don't you have like three or four copies of Chrono Trigger? I, I, I have several Chrono Triggers. Yeah. Why not? I mean, it's my, exactly. it's my 70 most, most favorite game of all time. Why would I not? Why would you not have five complete in-box copies? Yeah, they're, not, they're not all in-box. I'd say half of them. I, I have one in-box. I oh, yeah, I figured there was yeah. more than that. Mm, I don't think so. But, yeah, enough of, enough of X3. What what you got next? Uh, well, we're going to go to my number 69 here, and this is a game that we've played a heck of a lot together. And I want to we definitely talked about it on the show. I just don't remember if it was actually on your top 100 already or not. Okay. It, this is the classic from 2011, our Xbox Live days. <laughs> Hardcore Uprising. It has not been on my list yet, but I'm about 99% sure it's on the way. Fair enough, and as, as well it should be. What a swan song to old school Contra this was. Konami was onto something, and then they immediately killed it because they didn't do anything with it. They wanted this to be a new IP, even though it was officially the 13th game, I believe, in the Contra series, and they wanted it to be a spinoff. Uh-huh. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, and I don't know why. I mean, it was even made by Arc System Works. I mean, it was it looks awesome. It's got that cool hand drawn anime look. Yeah, it to looks it. like Guilty Gear fornicated with Contra, with Contra and <laughs> it's amazing. And the soundtrack, just that hard rock pumping run gun, just everything you'd want from a Contra game experience, a co op or single player uh run and gun side scroller. 
And it, yeah. it's easily my favorite Contra game. I think without oh. a doubt. Yeah, hands down. Contra 3 is good, but this blows Contra 3 out of the water. Well, only by um, probably about seven games on my list. Because wow. I, I talked about this two episodes ago, I think. <laughs> From the, you know, like the different characters actually playing a little different. I know the, the two main characters that the base game comes out with, they're pretty basic. Like one is a little bit, I think their guns shoot a little different. And then, like, one's a little bit faster. But then there was three additional DLC characters that came out after release. One's, like, a melee character. One's, like, super good with grenades. Maybe has, like, an extra double jump or something. And I don't know what the other character does. But it gave a lot of variety there. And there was also the... It had your basic arcade kind of Contra experience. But there was also this thing called the... um, I think it was... Is it Uprising? or I'm trying to think here. I think I have it here somewhere. I don't know. Maybe I don't. Yeah, it's like rising mode or whatever. It was. Rising mode or uprising mode, I think. Something like yeah. that. I mean, that would make sense. Hardcore uprising. Sure. Why yeah. not? <laughs> but for me, it kind of felt like sort of like a roguelike experience where you played through the game and you got points. And uh, I think the points at the end of the game like transitioned into money and you could buy permanent perks for each one of the characters. And that was saved independently for each one. So you get more health. More grenades, more gun damage, stronger guns, whatever. And that allowed you to progress further. And the game was tough, so there was incentive to do this. But it did kind of add that, hey, let's play it one more time. It's not just, hey, we're going to try and get, you know, a level or further into it. But we're also going to get these permanent upgrades and make the rest of the game easier. And that's just, you know, an extra incentive to replay games like this that, you know, we would have already replayed anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it doesn't have the frustrating factor of a Contra three where like you get really far, like the farthest we've gotten and you die, you're just, you know, kind of screwed. You actually get something for making it farther. Like you said, you get the roguelike permanent upgrades on there, which is the only time I can remember a game really doing this, like a Contra like shooter type game where you actually get the permanent upgrades and stuff from playing through uprising or arcade mode. I don't really remember another game doing that. Yeah, well, not, it, up, not up until that point, for sure. I'm sure there's uh, like 50 games on Steam at this point that do that. Well, even that most games on Steam, uh, compared to like Cuphead, where you actually just buy your upgrades during the game and you keep them. This one, you couldn't buy anything during the game. Like you go to the shop afterwards or whatever and spend your money. Like you couldn't buy anything during. Yeah, it wasn't like itself. Forgotten Worlds where yes. you have shopped in between levels and things like that. And then I remember, too, one thing that was cool was that you could hit B or circle, depending on what console you're playing it on. You could reflect the bullets back at him, too. Yeah, you could uh, you, you could reflect bullets. You could also do, like, dash maneuvers and things. It kind of sped up the gameplay a lot. Yeah, there there was a lot of cool additions. And I, I, I wish this game had clearly sold more. That would have been nice. But... You know, Konami also sucks. So this game actually probably did sell okay, but it didn't make $5 billion. So it didn't make the cut. Yeah, because I guarantee you, I bet Arc System Works would be down to make another one. Even though they're pretty busy. Actually, they might not be. They're probably a lot busier than they used to be. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're a pretty big deal these days. Yeah. So yes, Konami can't afford them anymore. They they could cut that Yu-Gi-Oh money, though. They They're do good. have the Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pachinko machine money. Yeah, they probably could, but they know it's... Well, I know it's worth their time, but they don't. Yeah, they'd rather make people mad. Yeah. 
But yeah, that was that was a classic from those Xbox 360 days. And it also came out on the PS4. That was early 2011. So. PS3. Oh, what'd I say? PS4. Yeah, it's not on PS4, unfortunately. Nope. <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah, but it, didn't, PS3. it didn't make the transition over. Yeah, so. another one of those games. Yeah. It didn't make it over. Yeah, so, no, yeah. you can't even get this one on PC, so I'm hoping I'm hoping this would really upset me, because like a game like this that if they take those you know, those online stores down and you don't already have the game downloaded, you can't get this anymore. It reminds I will me say, of, Oh, go ahead. The, I was gonna say, thankfully, it is Xbox One compatible, and you can still download it on the Xbox One, and still it plays fine. Good, that's yeah. good. Because I remember on the Wii, they had a bunch of games like that, or WiiWare, and uh, Castlevania Adventure Rebirth came out on the Wii, and now you can't get that game anymore. That is so frustrating. Yeah, there's no such thing as limited run games back then. Like no one was making these indies physical releases like obviously we're getting scott pilgrim versus the world coming back out that everyone is in love with that i remember playing with you that was like it was an okay beat em up but you know yeah, it was fine yeah limited run hey this would be a better one i'd, I'd yes. buy it this <laughs> i'd definitely i buy would it. love a collector's edition of this bad boy i would set an alarm so i could actually order it although me and you might be the only ones actually ordering it off limited run but I would set an alarm to buy this one. Most of the games, I don't really care too much, but this would be one where I'd be like, let's go. Yeah, a classic indeed. All right, well, let's move right along then. And It's going to be another one that you're going to have more than enough to say about this one, because we actually talked about it before the podcast even started today. <laughs> so I clearly gonna... forgot our conversation. Well, we're going back to From Software. Oh, okay. And we it's are going to go spot. with the, yes, <laughs> Dark Souls 2. And uh-huh. I mean, I'll just say Scholar of the First Sin because I think that one's better, but I have both of them. They're both awesome. Good old Dark Souls 2. What a game. Definitely not a, a popular, game. Yeah, not, not a, a game. game. Not, well, I, I don't know. I think it's probably more popular than it was when it re- was initially released. And I think it definitely is a little bit more divisive than the rest of them. I don't think yeah. anybody's going to deny that. In comparison to 1 and 3, not a popular game, I should say. It's still a much beloved game, I think, because it's part of the Souls trilogy, but it's definitely kind of the redhead stepchild of Souls games. For sure. Which is a shame, because it's amazing. Yeah. Dark Souls 2 does actually um, mark the first time I actually went to a midnight release for a game. I'm surprised they had one. They, they well... Uh, I'm pretty sure a Call of Duty came out that night. Okay. Uh, I feel confident. I think I was one of like three people who bought Dark Souls that night. So, <laughs> God, that good. makes more sense. Yes, being my girlfriend, my current, or my my current wife, my wife right now. <laughs> you know, we she went to that with me. She didn't go inside, but we did uh, make homemade ice cream sandwiches in the car to kill time before that event. There you go. So, Dark Souls 2 clearly kindled love. Obviously. But yeah, it's a pretty damn good game. Not going to lie. I didn't like it when it first released, but I definitely grew to love it. The first time dual wielding is in the series, I believe I got that right, didn't I? I mean, you could fly. Well, it's not you're, dual you're my wielding, fact it's power stancing. You could always dual wield. 
but it okay. just wasn't as interesting as it was in Dark Souls 2. Okay, gotcha. You're my uh, Dark Souls fact checker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the power stancing that gave you the, the different moves if you equipped weapons of similar, I guess, weapon families or categories. And I think it's got some of the coolest uh, scenery in the series. Like the Dragon Airy, that place looks awesome. Like yeah, that area is sick. Yes, that's still one of the best designed areas. I know some people rag on the game because they say it's not a very connected world. It doesn't make sense. You go down to a volcano or something like people. I don't care. I mean, I was I was invested. I was connected in it. I felt it was just fine as far as the, the world map goes. The one thing I will say that I agree with on some of the criticisms is there's there's a whole lot of bosses and some of them are kind of generic kind of like humanoid like the dragon rider you fight him i think he's like two different bosses and there's just a few humanoid bosses like that but there's still definitely some some awesome you know standout bosses in the series too and the dlc like the freaking tigers in the frozen tundra area man that's i think that's pokemon technically the frozen tundra or whatever but (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's probably the most that's the most unfair brutal boss in the series pretty easily yeah it was, it was memorable that's not oh for sure yeah those were arguably probably the three best dlcs in the series and the hardest so, <laughs> a pretty lengthy game with some some really really difficult and inventive dlcs to come later hmm and there's, yeah. there's like what 36 or 38 bosses like something ridiculous versus like the 16 of the first one or Right around like the 16 and 20s range, I want to say in the other two, and there's almost double the amount of bosses in two. There's yeah, there's there's a, a, there's a lot of them for sure, and a lot of them are. I don't want to say a lot of them are forgettable because I don't think that that's actually true, but there are definitely a handful. I I think that the game definitely gets a lot of unfair criticism because there is one thing that that game brings more than any other game in the franchise, and that's choice. From build diversity, weapons, um, sometimes the directions you can go throughout uh, the game. I don't want to say it's quite as open world as the original, but there is just a lot of choice, be it from a PvE or PvP standpoint, that Dark Souls 2 is probably, I'd say, without actually without question, the most replayable game in the series. I know for the PvP community, too, like it's the, the favorite. Among that sure. community, I'm not really much of a... I'm not one of those players, but that's just, like you said, kind of a cool footnote, because you can be so customizable. And Yeah, there's just there's so many cool weapons and spells that they added into that game that it's just like they had all of these ideas for the first Dark Souls, maybe. I'm just assuming here. They had all of these ideas that didn't quite fit into that kind of really well-crafted world that the original had and they took all these like things that that were left on the director's floor and they just put them in dark souls 2 and if you suspend your disbelief for you know kind of the the uninterconnected world uh that is dark souls 2 you will find tons of fun and inventive areas enemies and experiences throughout Dark Souls 2 is is a fantastic game uh, if you can get past those 
slightly jagged edges. It was kind of almost like the Marvel versus Capcom 2 of Dark Souls games <laughs> because they're just kind of like, okay, let's just throw everything in here. Does it necessarily need to be balanced? No. Chuck it in. Yep. I mean, everybody loves that. That's why we got tons of bosses, tons of enemies. The I will say the mobs can kind of get to you sometimes. There are a lot of almost unfair regular enemy mobs, but overall should be experienced by all Souls fans and I mean, this won't be the last Souls game that you or I will be talking about, I'm sure, on this list, but one that everyone should should check out. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, Dark Souls 2 definitely went through that transformation. It was It's definitely a, di- a much different game than it was when it first released. Um, the, the current version, Sculler of the First Sin, is much improved as far as just, like, balance and encounter design and... I'm trying to remember what all they actually changed, but I think there's like item placement and things like that. The developers went back to the drawing board and tried to fix a lot of the issues that people had with the game. And uh, they they definitely did a good job with that because it is definitely the definitive version and it is more enjoyable. Yeah, they definitely fixed more than just the visuals. It's not just a kind of a slapdash upgrade like Dark Souls HD it was basically just slapping the exact same game on. They actually tweaked some things and made some good quality of life changes in Scholar of the First Sin, so that's why I have it on here is the definitive version in my mind and the one to check out. Alright, well, we'll move on to my number 68. We're going to go to the the good old PS2. A lot of good JRPGs on that console, as you know, Buck. Oh yeah. And this is one that I know you've played significantly less than mine, but we've had some some good humorous conversations about it over the years. I know what this is, then. Yeah, yeah, you do. And it's Wild Arms 3. Yes. Uh, I think this is this is the first game I've talked about from the series, and this is this is probably my favorite RPG franchise of all time. Unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore. It kind of died off on the PS2. I mean, and you could say it doesn't exist. It's not technically like the announced is dead but i haven't lost faith <laughs> well you remember there was that cell phone game that came out what was it like three years ago and then got taken offline like a year and a half afterwards well at least you're not a fan like my favorite's the chrono series so it could be worse yeah i have a lot more games to go back to <laughs> so and i also have chrono trigger which is nice so that's true everybody wins but uh Wild Arms 3 was the was the first game uh, that wasn't on the PlayStation 1. And Wild Arms 3 was the first in the series that was full 3D. All all the combat, all the exploration, and... Those cell-shaded, stylized graphics still look good. Yeah, no, it's definitely aged very well. And, and for anybody that's not, like, real familiar with the Wild Arms series, it's a strange mashup of, like... Western influence and sci-fi kind of stuff and magic. And it's a very unique concept that I don't see in pretty much any RPGs these it's days. It's like Wild West meets steampunk meets anime. Right. And and I'd say the least amount is, is definitely Western, except for in Wild Arms 3. This is the one game where they really kind of take that idea by the nuts and try to build it into the game. <laughs> throughout because your your main characters are just you know six shooter wielding pilgrims really right out of the gate 
and that that battle music god i still get it stuck in my head to this day yes well and, and that's the mark of a good rpg if you can remember the battle theme you know it's a good game <laughs> so yeah like wild arms 3 had a lot of cool things going for it um it, it, it kept all those the the franchise staples turn-based combat character tools that let you explore the world all up you know like zelda let you do different types, you know, like hit switches, freeze items, things like that. So solve puzzle solving. Yep. When you're going through dungeons, that was always fun. You unlocked those throughout the game. Uh, it also had the cool feature that carried over from Wild Arms 2, which was the, um, you could escape encounters. Before they happened, you'd get a little exclamation point above your head and it'd give you the option. You couldn't do it, you know, every time because you had like a meter that would empty out you decided to do that too much i totally it, forgot about that yeah it, it's yeah, a it great cool. option random battles suck most of the time and getting the option to uh you know eliminate those for a while especially like if you're doing puzzles or something like that or you're just trying to like backtrack to an area and you're like i don't want to forget where i need to go that's nice so but there is one thing that came back from Wild Arms 2 that I absolutely hate, and that is the world map exploration scanning oh, mode. Yes. Uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and if anybody has played these games, they know what I'm talking about. And I, this is, mm, I don't know why they kept this in the series. This sucks. So basically what you do when you go to a new area, be it a town or a dungeon, first you have to learn from an NPC where you're going. And they'll kind of tell you where it is, but then you have to walk around the world map, hitting a button, doing this kind of like AOE scan on the map. And if you're close to it, it might show up. And if you're not, you just got to keep walking around, scanning and looking. You don't see so, it on the map right away. What Chuck's trying to say is what you do, you walk around aimlessly and you hit square until you find a town or a dungeon is what you do. <laughs> well, that's what you end up doing. That's not what the developers wanted you to do. <laughs> and that's the worst part. Like they thought it was a cool idea. Well, getting into random battles the whole time, that's why the running definitely helps, because you just want to find a town. That, that was one of my gripes always with the series. That was like the one thing I didn't like. It um, made it unique. I'll give it that. <laughs> it, it was unique. Yep. No other RPG really copied that. So, <laughs> But minus that, um, I mean, it, it kept others uh, standard. Uh, wild arms tropes like the battle system where you'd gain um, something called force power which is basically basically like a i, I don't want to say like a mana bar but it, it's basically a meter you'll fill up when you do like actions during combat that let you use special powers from your characters you can't use them right away um, until you've leveled up higher to be able to do that um, and there's different like vehicle combat, things like that. And character customization comes down to putting basic uh, upgrades to each character's arms, which are basically just their guns. In this game, they don't actually have equipment. They just have guns that they shoot, which is more Wild West, I suppose. But there's a little bit less of that character development there in a way. Uh, most of that character development comes from customizing items uh, that are associated with your your guardian mediums you put different abilities on them and uh customize in those ways so uh, we'll see what else we got to talk about the planting the your strangest side quest of all time <laughs> like why is this a side quest 
at, at the very beginning of the game, Buck managed to miss something that is probably one of the most crucial things to miss in the game. Yep. First off, he didn't know who his healer was or who his magic user on his party was. So he gave the healing magic to his his powerhouse <laughs> main character uh, who couldn't use magic for crap. And then he also missed out on a very strangely placed side quest. This is actually very easy to miss where you can set up a farm and actually grow healing items. And I mean, that sounds nice. I'll save you money playing through the game. But Wild Arms 3 doesn't let you buy healing items. Ever. You literally have to use this function that's in this side quest. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah, that's just... And you know I don't do side quests. I mean, people that listen to this show enough know that I don't do side quests. Sure. And for you to not be able to buy your normal healing items, you have to plant them in your freaking garden. It made the game real hard, especially like you said, when I put my, you know, healing spells on my top DPS guy, it made the game really freaking hard. <laughs> yeah, well, and frustrating at that point. Yes. So, and I mean, the game isn't a cakewalk to begin with, but it's just, it's, an, it's a strange design choice overall. It's so. nice to get the freedom to be able to, you know, put your, um, you know, guardian forces. I know it's not what they're called, whatever the, the magic. Yeah. The guardians on whoever you want, but I mean, it kind of leads you in a direction that I apparently didn't pick up on because I put them in like the exact opposite of what they should have been. Yeah. Your guardians dictate what spells your characters can use, be it like buffs or healing or damage. And you kind of got to be specific because really only, Two of your characters are any good at using magic, and the rest of them are physical attackers for the most part. And you kind of got to play to those strengths, otherwise the game is pretty tough, especially at the beginning there. Um, and I know that it sounds like I've been harping on the game pretty much this whole time, but besides the the visuals uh, aging very well and the music being amazing, and that's pretty much standard for the whole franchise... Um, I, I absolutely loved this game, and it's certainly one of the longest RPGs I've ever played. I've put well over 100 hours into it. One of the reasons why is this game has one of the definitely more interesting like post-games to a JRPG. There's like, uh, there's like 15 like optional uber-bosses at the end, and also uh, like a 100-floor... Can't save, gotta be yeah. in one go dungeon. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, challenge dungeon, but that's also true. You can't save in it, and I I think it takes, like, five to seven hours to go through, which when you go to school, um, that's hard. That's a school day. I stayed up. Yeah, my parents <laughs> let me stay up till like, one or two in the morning to finish that. <laughs> I was like, I, I got to do this. I'm sorry. I'm committed uh, now. Yeah. Was it worth it? Being able to say I finished it, yes, but that... That was rough. Otherwise, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe not. Let's see what else. I, I also, I don't know about you, but did you think like the the story and the presentation was pretty cool? I thought all the characters were uh, pretty charming for your average JRPG squad. Well, that was one thing that was cool, kind of about all the the Wild Arms games, is that you got to know your characters kind of individually before they just randomly joined the party. Because you got to play through the individual scenarios. 
Yeah, at the beginning of the game, they all meet up on a train. It's like this like heist that nobody knew they were on. And then from that point, you select which characters uh, that you want to play, and it kind of shows them how they got to that point. You get to play like a solo dungeon with each one of them. And yeah, you pretty much do that through the whole franchise, at least through the first three. I think four and five don't quite follow that. But yeah, no, that that's pretty cool. Um, just and the, I would, the, like you said, the aesthetic, and this was a an early PS2 game. I think I got it for Christmas 02, I want to say. Came out like late 02, so this was fairly early in the life cycle, at least in me me owning a PS2, and I mean, it looked really good. The presentation's fantastic. It's a long game. I mean, there's a lot to love. Yeah. Two more things I want to give this game credit for before we move on. This game's final boss has the most forms of any final boss I've ever fought. Ever. The Man. final boss has 13 forms. Just want to throw that out there. Good lord! Yeah, it's ridiculous. I'm not going to say it's a super cool final boss, like, like the design of it's that cool, but the fact that it has 13 forms is pretty interesting, and they all have different mechanics. It, they're all, like, very unique fights to them. That's Man. very noteworthy. As well as... So, all the Wild Arms games, they have these opening animated cutscenes, which are really nice. They get you in the mood, and the, the music's always good. But this one actually changes throughout the game, like once you hit certain points in the story, it'll add different segments to it with like characters that you've met. So that way it doesn't like spoil those characters early on in the game and it changes throughout kind of showing your progress, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. It's like in like a new season with TV show kind of thing. That is cool. Yep. And they, they kind of did that in wild arms too, but they only had two different ones. I think it was depending upon what disc you were on. Yeah. Something cool. The series does that's wild arms three. It's a really good game, even though I was kind of critical of it. But, you know. It did get a PS4, like, uh, upgrade port, whatever, with, like, trophies and everything. Yeah, I called it a port. So I would call it a port with a port with trophies. Definitely not an upgrade. Because <laughs> I don't think it's even widescreen. Man. I don't think so. Um, I didn't. I no, know I bought that. <laughs> I know I bought that because yeah, it did come out on PS4 in, like, 2016. And uh, it is a good option. Um, but I, Wild Arms 3 is not an expensive game if you have a PS2. It's a pretty easy game to get get your hands on if you want to try it out. Definitely worth a look. Oh, let's, let me see. Next up, what do we have here? 67. That's another going back to the Super Nintendo again. May as well. And it's a one that you've already had on your list here now that I'm thinking about it. I don't remember where it was on your list, but I know you've already talked about it in the countdown, so we're going back to good old Super Punch-Out. Mm. Is that already on my list? I think so. No, Do you I have don't your think list so. I actually think this is much higher. Spoiler alert. I, I could have swore you... I guess this is just a different episode you talked about it. Um, uh, Let's see here. Pretty yeah, confident. Curious. I thought it was on this. your list already. No. Nope, it's much higher. <laughs> okay all right well, just verified well then i'll kind of gloss over it and not go over it a ton since you're gonna be talking about it later on oh shoot we can talk about all we want best punch out game by far even though i love all the punch out games but super punch out is easily for my money the best punch out god suddenly you got gabby J. starting out <laughs> so many good characters i still remember gabby J, and he's like Yay! 
<laughs> yeah, I can't think of a, a franchise where, besides their characters being probably the most stereotypical and potentially offensive, <laughs> if, if, you know, if racism gets to you, because you could argue some of them are pretty racist. I don't like to look at things through 2020 eyes. So no, no, I don't okay. either. <laughs> no, I don't either. But I'm, I'm just saying, definitely very stereotypical <laughs> characters, but it's yes. just the amount of love, animation, charisma that they all have. They all have their own very, very unique animations and fighting styles that are kind of based on, you know, whatever, obviously, whatever their heritage is or, or whatever. Like, and everyone's personality comes through in their fighting style, too. I mean, you can they don't need to say a word and you can already just you feel like, you know, the characters without them ever doing anything besides just boxing them. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, Bear Hugger walks into the <laughs> ring. You know what's about to happen. This is big, probably 600 pound Canadian man in overalls. <laughs> and you know what's big old, up. Big old Canadian hillbilly. <laughs> yeah. Not only is it just that, you know, the charisma that the characters bring, the animation, but it's also just like the, the perfectly honed gameplay and just that kind of, it, it doesn't play like a sports game. It almost plays more like a rhythm a, game almost. Yeah, a dexterity <clears throat> rhythm puzzle game. Because there are lots of elements of reaction, but there are also elements of learning and memorization yeah, lots of pattern recognition. Yeah, you're not going to beat the game on your first go. It's a very difficult game, but it's one of those games where, as you play it, you get a fine sense of mastery. Yes, it's very rewarding. It's not like uh, like the Fight Night series that EA put out where you can just, you know, just keep throwing random jabs and hooks out and hoping for the best. You cannot do that in Punch-Out. It won't work at all. No. But you will get the chance to quickly learn each, each fight as best you can, because each one is drastically different. Yeah, I mean, after you get past like that first circuit, uh, first circuit, even though there are some unique fights in there, like I mean, like is Piss and Hurricane the the final fight in that one? Uh, yeah. Or is it actually is it Bold Bull? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because it goes Bear Hugger, then Piss and Hurricane, then Bold Bull, I think. That might be right. And then obviously Gabby J, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you get that opportunity to learn all those different uh, mechanics that they have, because they all have very interesting different types of moves. But they also have, due to the animation being as good as it is, everything is very well choreographed if you know what you're looking for. And that's one of the beauties of the game is that there's this kind of like... They this, telegraph everything. <laughs> yeah. Once you once you learn it, once you learn, you know, the the tells, you have all the tools at your disposal to wipe the floor with these guys. Because, I mean, you have a yeah, limited man. set of, you know, verbs. You can block up and down. You can dodge left, back, right. You can punch up and down left and right side of their body. And then you have a couple of super punches and that's about it. But those those are all you need, and if you know how to play the game correctly, you don't even need all those. Yeah, you can look like an absolute master, and then you can hand like the control to someone that's you know typically good at games or whatever, and they can just get the floor wiped with them if they don't know. 
what they're doing. It's a, like Chuck said, it's almost like a puzzler rhythm game and it's really unique. And I wish Nintendo would bring the franchise back. Yeah, because that Wii one was really good. Although my only qualm with that one was what didn't it play a little like quite a bit more like the first punch out? Yeah, it felt like it was like a reboot kind of a step backwards, though, because Super Punch-Out, like, I love the first Punch-Out, too, but Super Punch-Out's so much better, it's not even close. And they kind of just rebooted off the the original instead of just giving us a, a proper sequel to Super Punch-Out and adding mechanics, they actually took things away. And Much like everything on the Wii, they dumbed it down. But, I mean, they did add some cool things there, like the uh, they have the the contender circuit or wherever they came back and they fought them and they were tougher and they had different move sets. Yeah. You defended your title instead of just getting the top and winning the title. You'd actually come back and you'd be the champ and defend the title against, you know, all the, the contenders that, you know, you previously beat and then you eventually face Donkey Kong. So they had yeah. some good ideas and it was well done. I just wish they would have went off super punch out or just added new mechanics versus just, making it off the original Punch-Out and acting like Super Punch-Out didn't exist because they didn't use the like the characters from Super Punch-Out either. Like There were a lot of original Punch-Out characters that came back, but I think King Hippo was back and the Sandman and Super Macho, Macho Man. Man. Yeah. Did they, they didn't use any of the new ones from Super Punch-Out? I don't think Bear Hugger anybody or Hoy Quarlo or the gang <laughs> was back. I don't, I don't think they used anyone that I can remember. What about like Aaron Ryan? I thought... He, I could have sworn I saw him, but maybe that he just he looks so generic that <laughs> I mean maybe they did. I mean his his gimmick was just like to be a dick or something, wasn't it? He didn't really... Well his thing was like he would he'd like fall back, he'd be like, ow, and then he'd <laughs> and punch he'd... you, like fake it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he was kind of a dumb fight. I don't know why they'd bring him back. Maybe they did. It's been a long time since I played that one, but it was yeah. a good game and just the Switch, they could do so much with it now, and even if they want to dumb it down and make Joy-Con punching, actually, please don't. But just just give us a new Punch-Out. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd be totally down for that. What a classic. Yeah. We'll, you we'll definitely it. be talking about that one later, I promise you. I got a few more things to say. Two about more, that. I believe. Okay, yeah. So you got two more left on the list yet today. I got two more. I do. But they're they're going to be a single entry. What? They're going to be a single entry, man. They're okay. they're a little connected. All right. You'll know why once I tell you what they are. Okay. We're going to go back to the mobile days. Or not not the mobile days, but you know. Like, what? When we were on the go with our AA batteries. Yeah. You know, okay. really the classic mobile days. Go walking around oh, with yeah. our Game Boy colors. Or and we were playing Game Boys. And we were playing a couple of Zelda games. Yes. 2001, we got the duology of Zelda, Oracle of Ages, and Oracle of Seasons. And I, for one, have a very hard time picking one of these over the other. Because for in my, in my eyes, these are a complete package together. You have, I mean, to beat the final boss, you have to go through both games because you can't get the real, like, you fight a boss from each game individually, but to get the true final boss and ending, you have to carry over your save from one game and play the other one. So I get where you're coming from. Yes. I know you would, but this is for the listeners who may have not played these classics, but they absolutely should. 
they'll be much higher on my list as well. <laughs> yes, these, these are great. And this is the way Zelda games should be. I'm just saying, I, I know Absolutely. this is our, our favorite formula for the series by far. For me, though, uh, while these games are, you know, a, a full package together, this always seems like a hot take when I uh, read about these games. I actually like seasons more than I like ages. Yeah, and I mean, I'm the same way. And I like, I was more on the action side than the puzzle solving side. And I know at the time, I mean, they both got rave reviews, but everyone said like seasons is the goat. And ages is not quite as good. I think it's, I mean, they're both very, very, very good. But like you said, I think it's just the opposite. Well, I actually think you said it wrong. When you stated that, you said Seasons was the goat. That's what everybody oh, said. Ages is was what everyone said. Okay. We think Seasons is. I think I got that right. I don't know. That's what post-production's for. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so uh, these two games, um, they were actually developed as a trilogy initially. There was going to be a third game, but there were limitations in trying to get uh, data between three different games. I'm sure that was probably a hurdle back then. So it got combined into only two games. And the, both of these are very reminiscent of Link's Awakening, another Zelda game we both very much appreciate. We'll both be talking about probably in the future. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, their claim to fame is that you can play through both of them uh, individually, but they are better uh, together because when you beat one of them, you get a password that you can take into the other game that will change some of the story elements and extend parts of the end um, to kind of make a cohesive story there. Uh, that's not the only part that gets connected because that would be that'd be a little lame, I guess. Uh, I still thought that part was cool. But there are yeah, also side cool. quests that you do between the two games where you can get like different items. And I think there's also like a trading mini game between both games where if you finish it up, you get like the Bagoran sword, which is totally OP. And uh, there, there, there's a bunch of little cool nods like that that you can do. But Zelda Oracle of Ages was always considered the more, uh, you know, the thinker man's game because it was way more puzzle heavy than Seasons was. And it certainly was. Um, I remember playing this game, and I thought it was quite challenging. To be I clear, both of them are extremely good. <laughs> well, I played it. I played it co-op with my cousin. Me and my cousin Monk went through and played both these games um, one summer back to back. And and one reason I think I might like Seasons more is because I actually started with that one. So I wonder if you know I thought I maybe I was not. feeling some some fatigue. Oh, that's I played Ages okay. first. Okay, so. That still might be true. I don't know. But I think the puzzles were a little bit easier with two people being able to kind of talk it out. As opposed to probably trying to think about stuff by yourself and not making sense, at least like going back and forth with ideas with someone else. I felt like that helped me as far as the puzzle solving. I think that definitely does. And somebody can like remember things that were in different rooms because Oracle of Ages had a lot of, of puzzles that were like dungeon wide. That you had to yes. kind of remember things on different floors and different levels, and you had to kind of combine all that stuff. And it was challenging. It had it had some some pretty interesting different um, uh, tools and weapons as well. Like you had that like slingshot where you could throw like different seeds and stuff. That it's the solved. only game that I can actually remember too, where I know my cousin was like, I was playing. He was literally like drawing an actual map for some of the puzzles. 
of stuff going on. Like instead of just he would have like his own map just with pen and paper on the side, he'd be drawing to try and keep things straight. Like there was that much going on in some of the dungeons. Nice. Yeah, I didn't have that kind of support. No wonder <laughs> I thought it was shame. so hard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that speaks to it for sure. But then then seasons on the other hand kind of harkens back to the original, the OG Legend of Zelda on the NES, where it is more combat focused. That's where the challenge is. There's more like individual combat room challenges that you have to you have to finish. And a lot of the tools are uh, more combat focused. Most of the tools between the two games I don't remember, but there were definitely a handful of unique ones between them outside of the ones that were the gimmick between the two. Which yeah, Oracle of Ages had the Harp of Ages, which lets you go back and forth in time. And this is specifically one of the reasons why I think uh, Oracle of Ages is the weaker entry, because we've done this several times in the series. Yes, Ocarina of the Past, Ocarina yeah. of Time. Yep, both of those. Oracle of Seasons, you get the Rod of Seasons, which lets you change the seasons. No, I'm getting redundant here between all four different seasons throughout the course of the game. And that was just like a cool gimmick that was just a little bit different and a little bit more engaging for me at the time. Yeah, and I mean, it changed up. I mean, there was some decent puzzle stuff with the different seasons and stuff. And then you had the underworld of Subrosia with the weird little dudes with hoods going on in seasons as well that I thought was cool. Like the lava world. Yep. Yeah, no, that was cool. I, well, for me, the dungeons, or the dungeons, all well, the dungeons do probably, but the puzzles and seasons always felt a little bit more, they were a little bit more just like common sense kind of like, situation. Just kind of like, well, normal I need Zelda. to get across here and I need to get there. What kind of environment would make that easier for me to do? Do I need to freeze the lake or do I need like a flower or something to like toss me up a mountain or whatever the different things that they had? You. It, it wasn't just like this giant puzzle you had to keep track of. You just had to kind of do it. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it was more right just kind of normal, self-contained. It almost called it like Zelda puzzles that weren't anything that you didn't have to really scratch your head too hard to figure them out. For the most part, like, okay, well, I, I need this lake is here and I can't swim. I should probably make it winter so it freezes. More of that. Yeah, but I but, thought that was cool because, like, that gives you different options as far as if you're looking to, obviously, ways, like, I'm almost like a Metroidvania, like, okay, I couldn't get through here before, but now I can go over this lake if it's frozen, get to this new area to go to a dungeon or something. It was more stuff like that versus actual, like, numbers and whatever else, changing time, I have to go back in time, so there's stuff here versus there, and, you know... I do, I do know. I do know. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a little bit more interesting, and uh, yeah, I love both of the games, and I I haven't had a chance to play them. God, I probably haven't played them for a long 10, time. years at this point. Yeah, probably at least, I was going to say, because you got them right when they came out. I did, uh, and I think I've only replayed them once since then, and I think that was within like those first five years. Um I want to say for me, it was like, oh, five or six summer. I mean, it's still been like 15, 14, 15 years since I've played. So it's been a long time. 
So these are these are certainly not fresh in our memory, but I I certainly do not forget the the joy that these games brought and uh, the excitement that uh, we had for any type of old school Zelda game like this at that time. Yeah, I mean old school Zeldas in general are still 2D Zelda is best Zelda. Word. It's not even a statement. It's, it's yeah, a it's a fact. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think I have anything else on those at this time. So, do you have one more game left, or were those? No, I'm, I'm done. That was my 67 okay. and 66. That's why I had you go first. Okay. So, then I assume uh, 67 was technically uh, what should we call it? Oracle of Ages. Ages right. and 66 yes. was Seasons. Yes, I'll answer that for you. Since I couldn't think. I appreciate that. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah. What are you gonna What are you gonna book in the episode with here? I'm gonna book in with one of the uh, all time classics. Go to the PS3. Okay. So I think this generation is kind of underrepresented, maybe by us in general. I mean, I don't think I have a complete ton of PS3 games on here. So this system, not this generation. Because we've already talked about this generation once. You mean to say that this system is underrepresented by us, not this generation? Because we just yeah. talked about Hardcore Uprising. Yes, the system is underrepresented. And I think that you're going to know the game I'm talking about. I'm actually booting it up right now, so I'm trying to kill some time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I see that Buck is already bored of the podcast, mid-podcast. <laughs> Now you're gonna go a little bit longer. Whoa! Did that I come through? A, yes, I am astounded. <laughs> this is that low. You thought it'd be a lot higher up the list? I I, I would have put money on that. I think this is actually probably my least favorite uh, of the Marvels, which is I mean I really 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 like the game still. But as far as, I'm not counting Marvel 1, as far as um, 2, 3, and Infinite, I like 2 and Infinite better than 3. Hmm. That's fair. I, yeah, it's kind of a toss-up between this and 2 for me. I, yeah, you're not much of a fan it. No, uh, not, not really. <laughs> the gameplay in this one's so solid. I, it's definitely way higher up on my list, for sure. Oh, I knew it would be coming down in the future. The gameplay is super solid. This is a game that we didn't think we would ever actually see be made. I mean, we didn't think it ever exist. That's for sure. Well, we also felt that way. Well, I felt that way about Infinite as well, so. Yeah, 100%. I did too. I Infinite, I didn't even like, have much of a spark of hope for in general. We always kind of hoped against hope after, you know, like, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 playing in, in 2001 and then we're like 10 years later we get a sequel. We thought that was all like dead and gone. We're always talking about like through high school and stuff like that. Yeah, sweet to get a new Marvel vs. Capcom game but that'll never happen. And it did. Yeah, I, re I remember the the anticipation for this game when it got released. That was an immediate day one. Went to Walmart and grabbed this game. Yes. When it came out in 2010 or 11. I think the original came out in 10 and then the uh, Ultimate came out in 11. 
Yeah, it came. Yes. Um, yeah, based upon the, where I was in my life at that point, that sounds correct. Yeah, I'm 99% sure that's correct. Obviously, the original was good. Ultimate is the, as they say, it's Capcom fighting games. It is the Ultimate Edition. It's the best one. They added more characters. And yeah, this is probably maybe the most frenetic, crazy fighting game ever. I would say so. I would. I don't know what else would beat it as far as like tagging and mechanics and just one touch deaths. (laughs) Oh, one touch deaths for sure. This is. This fighting game, I, I can't think of any other where it's this easy to get blown up out of nowhere. Like, if you don't know what you're doing, this is easily the hardest fighting game to play online, bar none. I can't think of any other fighting game where, like, you could have two people, like, almost pros going at it. You could have someone almost get a perfect against someone, and they'll run back the next set and lose. Because games could just go that different and that south after one hit one confirm like yeah it's nuts. Just the the the, mecha- the team mechanics of the marvel versus capcom series create so much diversity and excitement uh from a match-to-match perspective there, there's no wonder that the series is is so lauded and there there's no series that is as anticipated at fighting game tournaments as a marvel game and, and this is the big reason why well, yeah, there's nothing more hyped than watching like a Marvel tournament. If you're going to watch a fighting game, Marvel by far is the, the hypest game you can watch because, like you said, anything can happen. It's just tons of flashing fireworks. It's, it's craziness. Yeah. It's what, it's what it got all, me into you know, the fighting game community initially. Same like, here. It was yeah, the first fighting game that. that I started watching online, watching live streams. And I mean, it really, honestly, it kind of like was the besides Street Fighter Four, it was the it was the revival of of fighting games at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, it's what I we basically found Maximilian dude. I've obviously I'm super popular on YouTube. I started following his channel back in I don't know like 2012 or something. Found the channel and have been like hooked on ever since. But yeah, this is the main draw was the Marvel gameplay back in the day and. Yeah, like you said, it brought me into the kind of the uh, good old FGC, the fighting game community. And then right around then, when I finally was able to get high-speed internet finally and be able to actually take my talents online on some of these games. And, I mean, fighting games are probably my one of my top two or three favorite genres for sure. I'd say RPGs would be up there, but I don't play those as much anymore. Less time, it's easier to pop on like a and play a few matches in a fighting game than it is to get invested in RPG and yeah, Marvel three is good Lord. It was hype. Well, your talents are also not as appreciated in a, in a JRPG as they are in online fighting games. Let's be, let's that's be true. Yes. That's a very, but yeah, just, uh, you know, the three on three, uh, tag mechanics, bringing characters from Capcom and Marvel. There's just a ton of crazy combinations. And I think the ultimate Marvel's Capcom three had what? 56 characters in it. Yeah, I think so. They added 12, something like that. And just between, you know, like team composition, assists, hyper combo, synergy, things like that. And then just being able to outplay your opponent, you know, if they're greedy or something, they call in too many assists, you can 
if, if you manage to hit all their characters while they're out on the screen, you can blow up their whole team in a couple of hits. And that's what we were talking about earlier. And they also had the uh, kind X of divisive comeback mechanic. <laughs> I don't, how are you reading my mind here? This is crazy. <laughs> X Factor, the the overpowered comeback mechanic that it was created excitement like none other, and also combo potential um, at different other points in a match like like i said if you caught a couple of characters in a combo why not pop it take out a couple of characters if you can gives you that that damage boost and that opportunity Um, well also like you said it's got the the hype for the comeback too because if you have one character left on x factor basically the less characters you have the longer your x factor the power up lasts so if you just have one character and say you got freaking virgil or something left like you can easily take out someone's whole team in a matter of seconds, just one combo. Yeah, well, it, did it also? It also got more powerful too. It didn't just last longer. Or am I remembering that incorrectly? Or was that only Wesker? <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know if it got more powerful. I know it lasts longer with each character you had left. It probably gets more powerful too. It was ridiculous. Yeah, you get so like much an fun. Akuma or Virgil or Wesker. You get someone that you can just take out a whole team. Yeah. It was hype. Or your name's Combo Fiend. Those were <laughs> those were some of my favorite videos back in those days. Just compilations of him coming back with one of the least played characters at the time. <laughs> Good stuff. He actually I, works at Capcom now, doesn't he? Uh, I believe he does. Yeah. Did yeah, he worked on Infinite? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. He yeah. did a good job. Much as many people don't give him credit, but that is a fantastic game that'll be further up the list than this one even. But yeah, this game was just we played a lot of this against each other because this was the last fighting game, like well, Marvel game that you got like pretty competitive in. Yeah, two and three were were the heydays there, and because uh, you didn't do much with Infinite or Dragon Ball Fighters, you didn't nope. play those. Well, yeah. Lot. We didn't have any each other local at that point, so there, That's there wasn't much drive for me. I don't play a lot of fighting games online. Um, it tends to not be my cup of tea. It tends to actually like stress me out a lot. Mm. Not, ah. it's strange. Like normally, I play games, and regardless of what game I'm playing, I'm pretty, I'm pretty chill. But uh, playing a fighting game online, especially like if the netcode kind of sucks, like if it's just like sort of sketchy, it kind of stresses me out. I just don't want to do it. Well, see, I feel like playing Marvel online has, like, groomed me for other, like, if I play, like, a more popular fighting game where everyone's not a complete killer, like Dragon Ball Fighters, like, I'm not near as good at that game, but I can wipe the floor with 80% of the people. Like, I have, like, an 80% win rate in this game, and it's, like, about 50% in, like, Marvel Infinite, and I'm so much better at Marvel Infinite than I am Dragon Ball Fighters, but there's a smaller pool, and a lot of people are pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that'll happen. Plus, uh, I feel like playing uh, Marvel Three as well online kind of got me ready. Like, and in, in you play like an NRS game online too. That'll be a lot easier because there's so many. It draws in the more casual audience, which is definitely good because it'll keep a community alive. Which is one of the knocks on like I have Marvel Three on PS4 and I can never even find a game because no one plays it online anymore. Yeah, that's true. It's unfortunate, except for maybe on PC at this point. Well, yeah, and they have that own their own whatever network like the Max uses now. I forgot what's called. Yeah, I don't remember. Parsec, I, I believe. Yeah, Parsec. That everyone yeah. plays glad, on Parsec. I'm glad 
the community could fix it and Capcom couldn't. So proud. Which of them. is so weird because Capcom has like good netcode for their last several games. Like I don't really like Street Fighter Five, but has good netcode. Infinite has good netcode. You think they could have fixed, you know, Marvel's Capcom Three when it came out and gave a decent netcode because that would have helped a ton. Because that's the only thing that this would probably be higher if I could still actually actively play the game but i can only play you know against the computer anymore like you said you're not generally no one else plays <laughs> yeah it's pretty much a, a single player experience at that point unfortunately and you know besides arcade mode and a couple of depending upon what version you're playing there's some some mission modes and then there's yeah, heroes, heroes versus heralds, heralds is cool. which is it's a cool idea but it gets old pretty quick yeah it is fun for a bit but... yeah it was fun for a free dlc that they released I wasn't complaining yes. about that. So, yeah, Marvel's Capcom 3 is a good one, for sure. Yep, lots of... I'll be a broken record again. We'll definitely talk about that one later. Times. Yeah. Yes. I got, I got <laughs> we'll some, be back. I got some other stories for that one. I've noticed we're getting more kind of overlap and stuff with the, some of yeah, these what, games, too. Yeah, what is that? Got that I mean, one coming up. We combine our list up. at this point. I don't... Did we ever <laughs> actually, like, announce, or we probably did, like, the first episode... We haven't seen each other's lists. We don't. Yeah, we know. don't know what's coming. <laughs> right. So, obviously, we gamed a lot together in the past, so we are going to have uh, similar games there uh, on our list. But this is this is not planned by any means. So, we're doing this off the cuff. I'm su- I'm as surprised about some of these as as Buck is. Yeah, so. like you said, you thought Ultimate Marvel 3 would have been higher, and like I honestly did too, but there's just so many freaking games when I'm going through everything, it's like, nope, that has to be higher, that has to be higher. It's crazy. Yeah, that's part of the process, and it's harder than it sounds. It really I is. I challenge anybody like, to try and come up with, you know, just even like a top 20, top 50. Yeah, it's it's hard. It yeah. It's very, very difficult. I feel like it was actually harder to do a larger amount. But maybe it was just more time-consuming and not harder. Well, I feel like I still left off a lot of games I wanted to have on here, even with a larger list. Yeah. yeah That's what I was surprised about. I was like, after 100, like I'll have basically you know, everything I want to be on here. And I'm like, there's a lot of stuff. I think the first episode, we had like 20 or so honorable mentions each. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, after we're done recording all these episodes, I'll have 15 new games to have. <laughs> if not point. more. Yeah. <laughs> so that will be interesting. So uh, in saying that, so I think, Buck, I don't know about you, but I was thinking about the next episode we were going to do. I thought it would be cool if we can manage it before the end of the year. We have a little bit of a Christmas episode talking okay. about some, some Christmas memories, uh, maybe some some games we got uh, or gifts we've given to other people. I don't know. Have I given you any cool Christmas gifts? Probably not. <laughs> I think, I think so. we only did birthdays back in the day. We did most of the time. We may have yeah. done a Christmas or two. We've done stuff, I think, almost more in recent years. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But I was, thinking, I was thinking that would be interesting if we could pull that off. I mean, our release schedule at this point is an episode a month at this point. <laughs> we need to increase that. We've got some time year we've both got a, a little bit of free time to hopefully uh work one more out before the end of the year yeah that would be good so i yeah, think we'll definitely get that accomplished yeah i'll see why not 
<laughs> so, Buck, where can the good listeners find us if they haven't already? They can find us a lot of different places. We're on Twitter. We're at Buck Chuck Gaming. We're um, on YouTube. We're uh, Buck and Chuck Gaming on YouTube. You can find us on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, all kinds of places. Anywhere else they can find us? No, I think that pretty much covers it. But I do want to tell everybody to, you know, stay safe, have a, you know, Merry Christmas. Um, spend as, in case we don't get another time. episode out. <laughs> well, well, in case we can't, I want to get it. I want to get it out there. Get those, those that good karma out there. You know, uh, enjoy your family as best you can. I know it's a it's a weird year for sure. Uh, we're, yes. we're all feeling it and kind of dealing with it in different ways that we can. Um, hopefully we can, you know, give you a little bit of a respite from all of the weirdness that's going on. So uh, we want to thank everybody for listening for sure and uh, enjoy the holidays and, and look out for the next episode. And we will talk soon. And as always, I'm Chuck. And I'm Buck. And you've been listening to the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. Thanks, guys. Thanks.